John 4. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll look at verses number 7 and 8. It says there, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Those last three words are the title of our Bible study. We began it last week. We'll finish it up tonight. God is love. God is love. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to understand first, second and third John. Uh, tonight we'll be honing in uh, more on first John. But Lord, help us to understand the book and Lord to go forth and do our best to live the book through the spirit of your grace And thank you, God, for salvation that we have because you are love. And, Lord, thank you that it defines you. It is such a characteristic of you that we can rest assured in it. And, Lord, I pray that your love would constrain us, Lord, your love would compel us, and that, Lord, your love would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we've looked at, uh, last week we laid out, the framework for um, uh, some historical context of the writing of the books. And so I'll give a quick recap on that. First, second and third John is believed to have been written by the Apostle John. Nowhere do you find his name attached to these. Second and third John open with the elder. Um, But uh, John's name is not on these. One of the reasons why we have a pretty good idea that John wrote these books is because uh, first John is specifically opens up the same way, just about the same way as the book of John does, the gospel of John does. And uh, another reason is that the writing style is very similar. One of the things I find fascinating is that God chose a group of 39 different men to write the Bible. And um, he allowed, he used, he told them what to pin down, but he allowed their personality to be infused in what was written. And so very fascinating, but uh, all of the markers of these books, all, uh, John's fingerprints or the Apostle John's fingerprints are just all over these books. So uh, history tells us and um, logic would tell us that John wrote the books. John wrote the books to a group of house churches, likely a group of house churches uh, around the city of Ephesus. And these were house churches that were um, composed mostly of Jewish Christians and some house churches that were dealing with some conflicts within the church. So we began last week by looking at, number one, the conflict within the churches, the conflict within the churches. And Paul addresses that, or rather, John addresses that uh, sort of in a roundabout way in the book of First John. But in Second and Third John, he addresses it head on. He addresses it head on. We looked at letter A, some denied Christ. And we looked at that in uh, the book of Second John. We opened opened that opened with that last week. We read verses six through eleven, where um, uh, John is flat out telling the, this church. He's saying, "Reject anyone who tries to preach to you a message from God that is devoid or absent of the person of Jesus. If they're trying to tell you God says this, but Jesus isn't God, that's a problem." That's a problem. And so uh, uh, stay away from them. Don't even wish wish them Godspeed. Don't even wish your blessings on them. Uh, and uh, then in third John, uh, we see that diat- Diotrephes demanded the preeminence. The letter was written to a church member named Gaius. 
And uh, uh, Diotrephes was going around and preventing hospitality given out to traveling preachers and uh, being in, in every sense of the term, just a total jerk. He was the pastor of this little house church. And John said, I will deal with him uh, when I get to those towns. So those are the conflicts within the church. Second and third John deal with them head on. First John deals with the importance of raising up Christ and elevating his status. OK, number two, we looked at the characteristics of Jesus Christ. We got through letter A and we're going to look at letter B tonight and then look at point three. Letter A, we said he is light. He is light. Now, turn back over to first John chapter number one and look at verse number five with me. One through four is the introduction to the book. It's laid out very similar to John one, one through eighteen. Um, uh, but uh, once you get past verse four, then we see the book really has two sections to it. Look at verse number five and notice it says this then is the message. OK, now turn over with me to chapter three and verse number 11. And we see the second breakdown of the book. And it says for this is the message that marks uh, a transition of thought. And we looked uh, all the way from chapter one, verse uh, number five through chapter uh, three, verse number 10 last week. But let's quickly recap that. We said he is light. And we said that most of the Bible is laid out in a linear, careful, uh, a construct, a constructed package. And you can see uh, uh, the. Uh, you can see that God care- carefully lays out the Bible in, in sections, even within books. But when you get to John, it's not laid out like first John is not laid out like any other book. Instead of b- having a thought that builds to another thought that builds to another thought, John has two main thoughts and he just keeps circling around those thoughts and, and coming back to them in a different way. So we said with he is light, he took from chapter one, verse five to chapter two, verse number 11 to talk about. That uh, talk about our redemption. The day you came into the light of the gospel, you were able to be redeemed. You remember that day where you realized my good works aren't going to cut it. I've got to. My religion's not going to cut it. The church I've attended is, is not going to cut it. That's not going to bridge the great divide of my sin and, and, and reconcile me with God. I, I now see that light bulb has come on. I must trust Jesus to be my redeemer and trust him and him alone to get me there. Nothing else will get me to heaven. It's not the work of Christ plus my work or plus my faith. It's the work of Christ alone. I've got to put my faith in that. So uh, uh, John takes some time to talk about uh, elevating Jesus. Jesus and elevating him as being God, he talks about uh, coming to the light and and being redeemed. Then he talks about our rejection. And we looked at uh, chapter one, verse uh, 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 rather chapter two, verse 12, down through verse number 23. And we looked at some things we ought to reject. We ought to reject apostate. False doctrine teachers, wolves amongst sheep. We ought to reject uh, the world and the love of the world, the lust of the world, uh, the uh, the pride of life. We ought to reject those things. And then we looked at how his light circles around our righteousness. And we are only righteous when we walk in the light of the gospel. Well, let's jump into the second half of the book and look at how. Uh, John takes the same approach and draws several different circles around this second thought. Letter B notice he is love. He is love. Now, first John four, verse eight tells us that God is love, but specifically 
John is going to show us how Jesus is love. And remember that the idea that John is trying to draw out here is that Jesus is God. That is the one thing that G, that John drove home in every book he penned in the Bible. The theme of the book of John, the gospel of John, is Jesus is the Son of God. So we looked at this seven miracles in the book. Seven times Jesus said, I am the. Seven times uh, Jesus uh, called himself, I am, in the book. And seven obviously being the number of completion. And over and uh, over and over again in the book of, of John, the Gospel of John, John is trying to drive home the point that Jesus isn't just some great prophet. Jesus is God. And now these, these churches, these house churches are having to deal with this false doctrine coming through them that Jesus isn't necessarily God. And John is circling back around in first John to say, oh, yes, he is. He is light, just like God is light. And he is love, just like God is love. Just as the father is love, so is the son. Just as the father is light, so is the son. And so uh, we're going to see here that John is what he's trying to do is if you want to love the father, you got to love the son. If you want to love the son, you got to love the father. They're so much the same. They really get to a place where they're indistinguishable when it comes to their characteristics. So let's see how John here circles around this idea of love. Notice there first below he is love. Love's definition. Love's definition. Look at chapter three and verse number 11 with me. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So there's the command that we're to love one another. Now, uh, love's definition we see explained uh, from verse 11 down through verse 24. Let's look at a few of these verses together. Uh, sometimes the best way to define something is to is to illustrate it. You ever found that parents? Any parents in here? You ever found that when your child or maybe you don't have any children, but you've had a child ask you a question. What does this mean? And you're like, I'm not a walking dictionary. I can't just spout out some definition, but let me describe it to you. Right. So um, he's going to John's going to open up with a description of what love is and what it isn't. Look at verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother and wherefore slew he him. Because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. What is love? Well, I can tell you here, John's saying, I can tell you what love isn't. Love isn't following in the steps of Cain. Love isn't worshiping yourself and killing your brother when you don't get your way. Look with me at. Um, let's see here. Look, look at me. Look with me at verse 13 here. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 
I love it here how John is laying this definition of love out. He's saying um, if you hate your brother, this is someone who's saved, not just your blood brother. I've got four blood brothers and two blood sisters. I'm the oldest of seven. This isn't talking about the other Lejeune children, okay, for me. And this isn't talking about the other siblings of yours. This is talking about those brothers and sisters that you have in the Lord. Let's see. Uh, here we have tonight several different nationalities represented. We've got uh, Asia. We've got Latino or Latina. We've got Jamaican in the room. We've got Africa in the room. Um, and you know what? I don't look like any of those folks I described. I don't come from the same nationality backgrounds that you do. But you know what? If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, you are my brother or sister in the Lord. Amen. We're related Amen. in Christ, through Christ. And I'm commanded to love you. I might not always like you, but I'm commanded to love you. And my friend, love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. Here he says, here John says, how can a Christian, how can a believer hate another believer? John is saying here, if you're a, if you claim to be a believer and you hate another believer, I question whether or not you're even a believer. So what he's saying. Look there. Look back at verse um, 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You're living in a constant state of wanting uh, hatred to a place of wanting someone dead. How can you call yourself a believer? How can you be a believer? Now, there have been times in my life where I have been really angry, really upset, really disappointed, really let down with another person who claimed to be a believer. Um, there have been times where I have thought maybe I did hate someone else. But you know, if you're saved, you can't stay there forever. You have to move on. You have to forgive. All right, let's do this. How many here tonight have ever been offended how many of you here have ever felt strong disgust towards someone else who claimed to be saved? Would you raise your hand? I put both my feet in there if I could levitate, okay? Um, how is it that... Some of you didn't raise your hand. Can I just say this to you? I don't believe you. I just don't. I know that some people never raise their hand when I ask, even if it applies to them. Um... Either that or you haven't been saved very long. You haven't been saved very long. Um, we are going to mistreat each other. Uh, we are going to do things at times that's just flat out sinful. Until we get to heaven and we're sanctified, that's going to happen. But how is it that you could continue to hate someone, no matter what they do to you, who is legitimately saved? How can you hate them? And bank on the forgiveness of Christ. If anybody ought to hate anybody, God ought to hate me and you. And he's chosen to forgive. And here we're told, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. You know why? Because that's what love is. Love's not some 
expression of word or um, some sentiment in my heart. Love is action. Love is action. And so how is love defined? Well, love is defined by what we do for each other. You know why it's important to serve, um, be involved through some sort of ministerial team at our church? You know why that's important? Because it gives you a chance to show other Christians the love of Christ. Gives you an avenue to do that. Ladies, you're changing a dirty diaper in the nursery and it stinks. You know what that is? That's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. You... um, you have some bus kid you sit next to upstairs in junior church. Smells like he hasn't had a bath in a couple weeks. Hands are dirty. You know what that is? That's the love of Christ. Love of Christ. You know what it is when you have a cantankerous church member who you just don't get along with? And you go out of your way to do something kind for them. And when they haven't been kind to you, that's the love of Christ. That's God looking down at you and saying... I died for your pathetic soul when I should have thrown you in hell. And you saying, you know what, God, you did do that for me. I don't care how such and such has treated me. I'm going to show them the love of Christ, not just in not just in word. What good is it for me to tell my wife I love her, but never show her I love her? Those words become pretty empty pretty fast. If I tell my kids I love you every night when they go to bed, but I won't get up and Give them a hug or I won't spend any time with them. What's that mean? Those are empty words. Love's definition. Notice next, love's discernment. Love's discernment. By the way, before we move on to love's discernment, go back to verse 23 and 24 of uh, chapter 3 here. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandment dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So you see here that once you believe in Christ, verse 23, the very next response is just to start loving each other. That ought to be as much of a reflex as anything. And that's how we walk in the Spirit, is by loving each other. Love's discernment. Let's look at chapter 4. And verse 1, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know, we the, know, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They uh, are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth. And the spirit of error, or hereby know we the spirit of truth, and hereby know we 
the spirit of error. If you are walking with God and you are dwelling inside of the love of God, God is going to give you a strong spirit of discernment to be able to quickly identify when a preacher or teacher is false or is giving out the truth. Um, I imagine there are many of you here that listen to preaching outside of what goes on in the pulpit here, whether you listen to preaching on YouTube or maybe you have uh, some sort of sermon uh, app on your phone and you listen to sermons that way. Maybe you subscribe to some sort of preaching. I got to tell you that if you listen to other preaching, you got to really be careful. Even when you come here, you ought to take everything I say and weigh it up against the Bible. Everything I say. But can I tell you that your guard's up at church when you have a Bible in your lap? Your guard may not be up quite as much when you have your earbuds in and you're washing dishes or mowing the lawn or you're, you're in your commute to work. Because you don't have a Bible right in front of you always. You're not careful. You'll listen to preaching and you'll allow some crazy notion that sounded really good in theory to begin to persuade you. And it's not biblical. It's not biblical. You say, well, pastor, how do I... Uh, How do I know if something is right or wrong? Uh, I know people, I've seen people carry around a Bible and on the front it talks about, this Bible talks about all the various cults. Listen, you don't figure out what's wrong by studying all of the cults. You figure out what's wrong by studying what is the truth. And then when you hear something that is false, immediately uh, some sort of red flag ought to be going off in your heart and mind and say, I, you know, that that's not right. That That's not what the scriptures teach. You know, the you know, the illustration about the banker being locked in the room with all the the right kind of money and then being able to quickly identify a counterfeit. It's that idea. Walk with God. Read your Bible. Study it. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. Last night, I was on the way home from uh, our outreach uh, uh, time, and Matthew went with myself and Brother Cyret. We brought Brother Cyret back to the church, and Matthew and I were riding home. And I told Matthew, uh, Matthew and I got talking about Sunday evening sermon. And he said, Dad, he said, you know how you talked about the barriers that are supposed to surround the field of our heart? And he said, those barriers, those grass barriers, you said, are supposed to be prayer and Bible reading. He said, Dad... I have a hard time consistently reading my Bible and praying. And he's nine years old. Um, And I said to him, I said, you know, Matthew, I said, I had a hard time with that for a long time in my Christian life. I said, you know what did it for me? That I learned that my time with the Lord was not about doing some sort of spiritual duty. My time with the Lord was about letting God love on me and me love on God. Now, I hope you're not missing this. This is so key. Your walk with God can either be another spiritual notch on your belt that you check off. Look at how spiritual I am. I read through the Bible twice this year. Well, I read through, I just studied and outlined the whole book of, pick the book. Listen, our time with the Lord ought to be basking in the love of Jesus. That's what it ought to be. It ought to be letting God love on you and you love on Him. And as you dwell in that love, someone comes along and they're preaching a gospel that's not the gospel of the, of the Scripture. Boy, it ought to jump right out to you. Because God's love gives you that discernment. Let's look at next. Let's look at love's determination. 
Love's determination. Look at chapter 4, verse number 7. We'll read down through verse number 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Wow! You know what this is saying? For me, God was saying, for me to love you took some unbelievable determination. I had to look down at your sorry, pathetic, worthless, no good, hell-bound soul that was completely unlovable. And I just had to determine I'm going to love him anyway. Because it's who I am. I get so tickled over Christians who act like they're better than everybody else. You know, you may be all cleaned up because of the grace of God. But it's because of the grace of God. Not because of who you are. And when one Christian starts acting more pious than another Christian, or like they've got it together get together better than somebody else, oh, get off your high horse. You know what I am? I'm a piece of dirt. And so are you. So I'm not going to call you a piece of dirt, because that's what I am. I've met some people in my life that are pretty difficult to love. You know anybody that way? Know a few that way? Aren't you glad God didn't give up on you? Aren't you glad He was determined just to love you in spite of how sorry and pathetic you were? Boy, I sure am glad He was for me. Were it not for grace, I can't tell you where I'd be. I'd be wandering down some pointless road to nowhere. That's where I'd be. But God's grace said, I'm determined to love that guy right there. Even though I know how terrible and sinful he is. Who is it tonight in your life that you're finding it hard to love? I would just remind you what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount when he said, He said, the wicked can lend to those who are going to pay back. The wicked can love those who love them. The idea was, it takes a special person. It takes, it takes a godly person to love someone who isn't going to ever love them back. Matthew 5.44, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you and despitefully use you. I am so thankful. I'm just going to insert this here. I'm so thankful that in 2013, I had a Christian greatly mistreat me. I'm thankful for that. I wasn't thankful when it happened, but I'm thankful now. To that man who treated me and my family so awful, thank you. Because you taught me 
You taught me. You allowed God to teach me how to love someone who I didn't want to love. You know, since I've arrived here to be the pastor, I've had some uh, things said about me behind my back. I've had some things posted online about me that weren't so kind. Um, and, And sometimes these things make it back to me. But can I tell you that because I was so severely mistreated before this, and I learned God taught me how to love someone who could mistreat me, there isn't a soul that has ever attended this church that I've stopped loving because of His grace. Somebody brings somebody difficult to love in your life or somebody greatly mistreats you, learn how to love them because it will open up the scope of your heart to really be a genuine, true blue, godly Christian who is able to practice one of the most difficult aspects of the Christian life. Let's notice next, love's development. Love's development. Look down at verse number 17 with me. 1 John four seventeen. Let's read through verse 21. It says there, it says, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. Um, uh, So we see here just an absolutely amazing journey that we can go on in this love uh, uh, for God. And what is it? Well, it says there first that we're made perfect. That is made mature. That we're running our Christian race and we're loving more and more. And that uh, love is being developed. i got to tell you that if my love uh, uh, for Christ and in Christ has grown to here, I can go four, five, six, seven, ten times further developing inside that love of Christ. It is a process that takes a lifetime. And I'm a long ways from being where I ought to be. And by the way, you ought not sit there tonight and compare how much you love in Christ to how I love in Christ. And I ought not compare the way I love in Christ to the way you love in Christ. Because, listen, if we all focus on how far we've come instead of how far we've got to go, boy, we sure all have a long way to go, don't we? The Bible says here that as we grow in God's love, there are some things he's going to take away from us. Look at verse 18 again. There is no fear in love. Can I tell you something tonight about me? I have some fears in my life. I do. The Bible says perfect love casteth out fear. As I grow in the love of God, those fears begin to be displaced. I want you to imagine you've got a glass full of of liquid fear. And you take God's love and you liquefy it. You begin to dump it in that glass. Hey, the two can't stay in there together. That fear is going to disappear. What are you afraid of tonight? Like my wife, are you afraid of mice? Right? Can I tell you, I'm afraid of the unknown. Very afraid of the unknown. Um... You afraid of the dark? If a, if a snake was crawling up on this platform right here, you'd see a guy jump running out that door. You didn't know I could move that fast. I don't do well with those things, okay? 
But whether it is a whether it is an animal, whether it is a uh, maybe it's public speaking, whatever it might be, perfect love will cast that out. And you can develop in Christ to overcome no matter what the fear is. I hope that that point right there incentivizes you to want to grow. Number uh, or last lastly here under God, uh, Christ being love. Notice love's doctrine, love's doctrine. Now, chapter five, I want to show you something here. Look at chapter five. And verse number one. Whosoever believeth, notice that word believeth, the word doctrine is a teaching it means teaching, and it's something we've got to choose to believe in. Whosoever believeth it, believe it, that Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah, is born of God. And everyone that loveth him, that uh, begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we uh, love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now look at the doctrine he's about to climb into. Look at verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Now, before I read verse 7, which is a key verse in the New Testament, can I tell you something? If you have a version other than the King James Version, there's a very good chance verse 7 and verse 8 are completely chopped out of your Bible. Do you know why? Because this is proof that there is a trinity. And Satan has attacked that. And if... Even if you have a King James Bible, depending on uh, the uh, the commentary uh, of that Bible or the footnotes of that Bible, you may even see a note in the margin or at the bottom that says that those verses were added to later manuscripts. Can I tell you that that's not true? I mean, let me tell you why that's not true. The book of the Gospel of John and the whole purpose of writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is to say that Jesus is God. So why would have John not put these verses in the Bible? Satan is working to attack the Trinity and proof of the Trinity. Look at verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Boy, that's pretty strong evidence that there's a Trinity, isn't there? And if you're Satan and you wanted to get rid of any Trinity doctrines in the Bible, you take out the one verse that just downright says it. Now, I, I showed you last year how that Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God uh, in other places in the Bible. But right here, it just says straight up, these three are one. Look at verse eight. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit, the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. Look down at verse number 13. Let's highlight a couple other things here. Uh, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So here's the doctrine that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye believe on the name of the Son of God. How does a person get to heaven? Well, very simply, they believe on the name of the Son of God. I call that the belief sandwich. You believe on the name of the Son of God, you have eternal life. What's the meat of the sandwich? Eternal life. What's the bread of the sandwich? Believing on the name of the Son of God. When you do that. You have eternal life. Notice that there's no baptism mentioned in verse 13. Notice there's no church attendance or giving or good works 
It's just believe on the name of the Son of God and you have eternal life. I would encourage you to go read chapter 5 because the whole chapter is chuck full of, um, of love's doctrine. But let's look at the last point in the message tonight. And I want to show you how all of this ties together to one last little verse that ought to hit us right between the eyes. Notice number uh, three, the conclusion drawn for the Christian. Okay, pastor. I understand that God, that God and Jesus are light and that they're love. I understand that I ought to come to Christ because of the light, reject some things, because of the light, be righteous, because of the light. I understand that love is defined. I understand love offers me discernment and love ought to give me a determination and love ought to develop me. And pastor, I get that love's doctrine is explained. But what practically does that mean for me? Look at verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Huh. Now, what is an idol? An idol is something that we worship ahead of God. Now, in the Old Testament, idols were pieces of stone or or metal that you bow down to. But you know what really New Testament idols are? They're more ideological idols. Worshipping money, worshipping people, worshipping one's self. Look at Romans 1. And here, God, uh, God or John is telling us, God's telling us through John, if you're going to walk in light and you're going to walk in love, then worship me. And don't worship anything else. Don't be given over to idolatry. Now, I don't think anybody here tonight has a shrine in their closet where they open the door and they lower the lights and they turn on a purple light and they get down on their knees on some kind of rug and do obeisance to any idol. I don't think anybody here has that. If you do, we need to talk, okay? (laughs) But Christians that go to Baptist churches and Christian churches all across this country, and I'm I'm going to make a bold statement here, the majority of Christians that go to Christian churches struggle with idolatry. And mainly we worship ourselves, And we worship what we want. And we're very casual toward worshiping Christ. Do you love Jesus more than you love yourself? I hope so. It's a day-by-day choice, isn't it? It's a moment-by-moment choice. If you walk more by the flesh than you do by the Spirit, you love yourself more than you love God. And you're guilty of idolatry. Christians, let's not do that tonight. Let's be Christians that walk in light and walk in love and grow because of those uh, steps. We talked about last week how a son or a child begins to take on the attributes of their parents. Are you becoming light and love the way Jesus is light and love? To be very specific, is there anybody that, that claims to be saved that you have a grudge against? Anybody? It's time to get on your knees and let that go. You, you can't live that way. You can't live that way. Let's stand to be dismissed in prayer. Look at First John, First, Second, and Third John. Hope it's been a blessing to you and, and a help in your studies and your understanding of it. And... Um, Go back and read it. John, 1 John is a fun book to read and study. Amen? Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer.